So, uh, John chapter 10, the Lord is explaining who he is as the shep, the good shepherd and uh, our need as sheep to trust him and to know his voice. So uh, we stopped in verse 21. Verse 22 says, Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple on Solomon's porch, and the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall, per shall, <laughs> shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So verse 22 starts with the Feast of Dedication. It's also known as Hanukkah. Now celebrated the cleansing and rededication of the temple after three years of desecration by uh, an, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, king of Syria. These letters get all jumbled up when I look at them up here. When I'm right by myself, I can read them and I can say them, but then I get up here and I'm trying to, yeah, yeah. That, that, that person. Uh, so anyways, uh, the king of Syria. So Jesus is now out in the open, and uh, there have been a lot of threats on his life and everything, but he's wide open. And the question comes, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you're to Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus says, I have been. I've told you, and you don't believe. You know, they, 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 uh, the works testified of him, uh, of being the Christ. His words did. Everything about him Proved that he was the Christ. They just didn't want to believe. That was the problem, and that's that's what he brings out. And he he goes further, and he says the works that, that are done in his Father's name bear witness of him. You know, he, and then he gets down into the root. Like I've told you, you don't believe. And then he he, he really digs down. You don't believe because you're not my sheep. And and he he goes so far to say, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they know. Uh, and they follow me. It's it's that relationship. I had a conversation with a man yesterday, and uh, um, our, our church was able to minister to them. I'll, I'll leave it at that, so we don't spend a whole lot of time. But uh, they they needed some gas, and um, had a conversation with him. And I knew I only had a couple minutes. He's from out of state. He's freezing. He's shaking. But the opportunity just to, to talk with him and, and share with him. And the, the question was, I don't I just I don't know if you have a personal relationship with Jesus or not. But um, I didn't want him to feel like he was a prisoner in the conversation. But he was, <laughs> you know, in a good way, in a good way. I didn't want him to feel like he had no ability to uh, to be free to talk or, or anything. But I know that the Lord brought that situation uh, to where it was for his glory. And I couldn't let that man leave without a Bible in his hand uh, and um, telling him who who the God that was giving him that Bible was and, and his, his love for him. And um, we, have a, we have a great shepherd that, that calls. He calls out, and uh, those sheep that belong to him hear his voice. I pray that that man comes to the Lord if he doesn't know him already. 
and that, that he would be there. But that uh, to hear the calling of the Lord that, you know, a shepherd calls the sheep, the sheep hear and respond and follow. And we watched the video of that last week. I've, I don't think maybe one time in the past 20 years I've used any video uh, and it was last week. And uh, that sheep, those sheep uh, would not follow the voice uh, of a hireling or or somebody who isn't their shepherd. And as soon as the shepherd talks, you start seeing one head, two heads, heads popping up. And then they all flocked right to him. Very, very powerful uh, visual demonstration that, that, uh, that uh, you know, the Lord led me to. So I had to share that. But my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. So he says, you don't believe me because you're not my sheep. So there's that that 600-year-old uh, argument of predestination, um, uh, Calvinism versus Arminianism. You can just bring it down to, do you, do you hear the voice of the shepherd and have you responded in faith? Uh, you can argue back and forth and, and uh, you know, all these things, but you know how do you know if you're one of his sheep? Do you believe in him and do you follow him? Everybody has the call. Everybody has that opportunity to believe in him and follow him. And uh, it really comes down to us knowing. There, there are times I think that we, we, um, we don't know. Should I go left or right? In my life, should I do this? Do that? Do I say this? Do I do I say that? What whatever it is, but uh, ultimately, you know, there's there's never a question when you can look at First John five and uh, John makes it clear as he's writing that that we can know we have salvation. There's there's no question there. I remember when Will Will was presenting that, and I, I must have read it over I don't know a bunch of times, and then but and just kind of read right through it, but that we can know. So there's never, there's never a doubt if we have trusted in Christ for salvation and, and we have come to him and, and we've confessed our sin and asked him to be our savior. He is, that's it, you know, and those, uh, the, our lives after that should reflect that we are Christians. You know, there are times that somebody might have just said that because, Hey, you know what? I, we were talking about that before, uh, before church today, you know, there are those, Times that there there might have been a yeah 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 I you know I want the savior uh, so I'll take the savior but uh, the Lord thing yeah not so much uh, it's got to be both in our lives that our works should reflect Him and what He's done. Jesus said that He gives them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall anyone snatch them out of My hand. The the foolishness that is put out by uh, Hollywood, and I know I brought it up before, so I won't spend a whole lot of time, but can a Christian be demon-possessed? You can't have the Holy Spirit and a demon uh, in the same, they, they, they can't indwell the same person. You're either filled with the Spirit or you're not. And if we're not filled with the Spirit, the Scripture says that we can be, you know, filled with demons. So uh, there, there is no one or the other. So don't ever worry. Wait a minute. Was I, was, I was following God, and then all of a sudden, you know, there. I say this because there are churches that teach that. They'll teach that. Oh well, you know, you're a Christian and uh, you're demon possessed. So we've got to cast this demon out of you, even if, even though you're a professing Christian and you're walking with the Lord, you can't have the Holy Spirit and a demon residing in you. Darkness and light can't coexist. We talked about that. Jesus taught about that. You know, we we can't be indwelt by by uh, by God and Satan. It's just it, it can't happen. So I just want to make that clear. And and it's not like oh hey God's got me uh, and I just got to make sure that that uh, that I'm on the watch. And I, no, if we're in the hand of God, we don't have anything to worry about. 
as we follow him. If we turn our backs from him and start walking away from him, then we can get into ourselves into trouble. But nobody can snatch us out of the Father's hand. And Jesus makes another claim here to his, his deity and says, I and the Father are one. Verse 31, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered, many good works I have shown you from my Father, the good works that they wanted to see, right? Uh, for which of these good works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, You are gods. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scriptures cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? If you do not do, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe uh, me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. And the, the mob doesn't like his response uh, when they, they had questions and everything. So they're now, again, resorting to violence and trying to kill Jesus. And, and uh, he'd already addressed them, and they're just like their father, the devil, who was a murderer from the beginning. And uh, he goes and he asks them, you know, you ask me questions, I give you the answers. And uh, now they're taking up stones because he said, I and my father are one. And they just asked him, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. He does, and they want to kill him. There's no right answer. <clears throat> they didn't. They What they wanted him to say was, I'm not. I'm not. And then they were going to go down that road. Well, why did you claim to be? Now we're going to kill you for that. There was no right answer. You know, they, they were just filled with violence, and they wanted to kill Jesus. <clears throat> so they're standing there with rocks, and they say, well, you being a man, make yourself God. He made several claims, and he backed up those claims by his actions. I am God, and I'm going to show you, and, and, and those things. So the, the lie that's, that will be presented by so many cults is that Jesus never claimed to be God. That is not true at all. He constantly did. He constantly did, and then he'd back it up. He was the only one that can make the claim and back it up. Many have said, I am, you know, I, I am the, the second coming of Christ or, you know, I in in their cult leaders. And then they all jump, uh, commit the suicide and jump on Comet Hale-Bopp and, uh, you know, or they'll all drink Kool-Aid or whatever they do and kill themselves, believing that they've they've got to the spiritual plane they needed to be. And now it's time to head out of here. You know, Jesus Christ is the only one that can make those claims and actually back them up. When it gets to where Jesus says, uh, they're saying, well, you, being a man, uh, make yourself God. And, and Jesus uh, quotes Psalm 82, which is was quoting uh, Exodus 22. Uh, the judges uh, in Psalm 82, uh, in Exodus 22, were called gods because of their office, that they determined the fate of men, and uh, they were uh, placed in positions to be representatives of God. Um, of course, they fell short of God's perfection, uh, but but they that's why they were called that. So, and he says the scripture cannot be broken. We've talked about this scripture before, but as I read that, Lord spoke Isaiah fifty five eleven to me. Uh, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. It shall not, uh, I, and it shall prosper 
in the thing for which I sent it. You know, God's word doesn't fail. There's, there's, the scripture can't be broken. It, it can't be some, something can't be said by God, and then something to come to contradict it from God afterward. That's not going to be the case. Whatever God sends His word out to do, it goes and accomplishes that, and it doesn't come back void, and it doesn't change. Uh, you know, whatever He declares is, is what's going to happen. So He presents an argument to them, uh, which. Uh, you know, that uh, regarding his works, and he says, well, well, just if you're not going to believe what I say, just look at my works. Do they do they glorify God or not? And if you're not going to believe what I say, look at my works and, 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 uh, and uh, you know, believe in in the works uh, that you may know and believe that the father is in me and I in him. And uh, we know that uh, they, they didn't, but uh, he still uh, told them that his works will testify uh, whether he is of the father or not. Verse 39, therefore they sought to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first. And there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true. And many believed in him there. So all the things that John spoke about this man were true, uh, that, that others were testifying of who Jesus is and that John said that he was going to do this and he did. And if you remember when, when John introduced the disciples to Jesus Christ, uh, it says that he, uh, John said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That was the, the greatest thing that John could say about Jesus is that he was the savior to come save the world. So when these people are saying, Hey, John didn't do any signs. But all the things that John spoke about this man were true. And many placed their faith in him based on what they had seen, what they had heard. And they lined that up with the scripture saying, I'm going to place my faith in him as, as the Savior. So as you reflect on John chapter 10, uh, it's, uh, you, there's, a, there's a strong uh, focus on uh, throughout the chapter of the good shepherd and calling. And the Lord as the good shepherd offers protection forgiveness, restoration, fulfillment. He says, I give them life and life more abundantly. Uh, that fulfillment, peace, and love. To, that his children would know his voice. How do we know his voice? By being in his word. If we're trying to figure out you know, who God is and how he wants to work in our life and uh, how we're supposed to grow in our faith, every, it's all in the word. The word uh, it provides everything that we need. God has given us his word. How many times... Did, did they say you have when Jesus you've you've heard it said uh, and uh, he would constantly refer to the scriptures for everything they'd have questions and you know in Moses it says that there, it's we find our answers for life our direction for life in the scriptures now that's how we grow in our faith the more we read and spend time with him the better we know his voice so that right because more familiar we're going to get with somebody as we spend more a time with him. So any of us that are new in our faith, or if you're just at a point where you backslid and you feel lost and feel like you're in the wave that just keeps crashing you and you're doing this and this, and I don't know how to get out, pray, get to the word. And just that, that humble act of just quieting everything down, unplugging from the world, take our phone, throw it out the window. So we don't hear the ding. We don't hear the buzz, anything like that. Remove it because those things, uh, you know, a phone is not evil. The stuff that that phone can provide for, provide and, and throw into our minds can distract us from the word. If we need to be in the word, 
leave your phone in the room, leave it somewhere so that we can just have time with the Lord and hear his voice. We need to know his voice. Uh, that way we uh, can respond accordingly. You know, we're, we're called to know him and to follow him. <clears throat> As we saw in John 10, you know, some uh, are his sheep and some were not. And Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And, uh, well, and, and he flat out told them, you don't, you don't believe in me because you're not my sheep. And uh, you can take that, uh, look at any of the theological arguments that are in there, if, if you so choose. And best way to know if you believe in him and follow him, then you're one of his sheep. John chapter 11. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with the fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So uh, to help set the scene and uh, where it describes in verse 1 who these uh, individuals are, if you remember from Luke chapter 10, when there, uh, there were many, uh, that's when many of us were really the first mention of Martha and Mary, uh, and that's where we're kind of introduced to them. We see uh, some personalities come out. We see that Martha was a doer, and she and her family were hosting Jesus and the disciples, and uh, we see that Mary was quietly sitting at Jesus' feet and heard his word. And Martha, wanting to be a good hostess, wanted everything to be perfect, and is all about serving and getting things done. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 40, she approaches Jesus. Uh, well, sorry, t uh, verse 40, uh, the, the first part of it, Martha, it says that Martha was distracted with much serving. Distracted with much serving. She's doing the right thing. She wants to be a good host and all those things, but it says that it became it was it was too much of a focus for her that it was a distraction for her, that her only focus was on these things. She didn't think of oh, well, I need to do this all has to be perfect instead of realizing who's in my house. You know, if if we know uh, that we're gonna have whoever, a guest of honor in our home, our job is to then spend time with them. You know, she wants to make sure everything's all set, but it had it had come to the point where, you know, and there are times, you know, when things are going. My wife's an awesome cook, and and uh, I, you know, she's she's running around and she's doing things, and uh, you know, trying to cook, and I, I, you know, I'll, she'll be like, hey, wash that dish for me or whatever, and I'll wash a dish, and you don't want me cooking, um, so I'll do the hosting and and you know talking and and whatever and you know, family gathering or whatever. But you know she's she's busy about serving, but she's also realizes that we have guests in the house. So she this this woman is is so much of a doer that she was distracted with much serving, and then she goes to Jesus complaining that Mary isn't helping. And uh, the second half of Luke uh, ten verse forty says, "Do you not care that my sisters left me alone to serve?" <laughs> and, and, I don't know about you guys. Do you hear the teenager voice in that coming out, right? You don't care that she's sitting there and I'm doing all this work and everything. I love Jesus's graceful and 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 soft response to her. And Jesus answered, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Martha, you're busy. You're distracted doing all these things. 
You need to sit at my feet. You need to hear the word of God. You need to just let me feed as the shepherd feed you the word of God. So we'll, we'll you know, move around and, and see those things more. But that when it says uh, that uh, when it introduces them, uh, that, you know, that's it's describing. And we needed to get into who they are and, and introduce them here. But the scripture here says Mary anointed the Lord with a fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. And we'll discuss that. Uh, further, actually, in the next chapter, but it's also covered in Matthew 26 and March 14. Uh, March 14, Mark 14, and uh, you know she did this in preparation for his burial. And, and like I said, we're going to actually cover that when we get to John chapter 12. Hopefully next week. Hopefully I can get through John 11. Here we've got uh, into uh, four verses out of 57. So um, we'll see how that how that works. But we'll actually cover that later. But uh, the, remember, the focus of John isn't a chronological account. So he's mentioning this, and then it actually happens in the next chapter. John's uh, gospel account wasn't designed to be a chronological record. Uh, he's recording the seven I am statements and the seven uh, miracles that were are presented in the gospel of uh, of John. So and and the focus of John as he wrote was to as we saw as we see in John chapter 20 uh, verses 30 and 31 uh is to spark believing faith in the reader. John the, those two verses in John 20 say and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God and believing you may have life in his name. So what we gather from these first four, four verses of, of John chapter 11 is throughout Jesus's ministry, uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus had become close to Jesus. And uh, when they say that he whom you love is sick, uh, he'd be, they, they were familiar with Jesus. He was very familiar with them. And uh, when when we see that statement there, behold, he whom you love is sick, uh, they... they um, they believed in Jesus because they knew who he was and uh, that they knew who they could go to when he was sick. Now, this sickness we'll see here is 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 not just, a, oh, hey, he's got the sniffles. Um, this is this is a uh, fatal uh, sickness that he's dealing with. But Jesus says the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the son of God may be glorified through it. So there are illnesses and ailments uh, from sin. And then there are things that. Uh, just happen in life, you know. We we have we, and we've studied and we've seen, you know, the man uh, that uh, near the pool of Bethesda. You know, when when he was healed, Jesus said, "Go your way and sin no more." You know, so whatever he had for thirty eight years was a result of sin. Is the 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 summary we can come up with by based on you know putting two and two together. Now, not all of us. I mean, some of us may uh, die in, in some sort of uh, you know tragic accident or, or those things, but most of us are, are going to pass away from some sort of illness that's going to overtake us in life. There's, there's going to be something, some sort of medical episode that takes place in our life that is eventually going to take us. We don't know. We don't know when it's going to be, uh, but we know that this man was was uh, was sick, and uh, it wasn't a normal sick. Uh, and and I do want to say, um, I was listening to a pastor teach, and uh, this this pastor uh, had come from a church uh, doctrine that was saying, well, if you're sick, you're hurt, or anything, 
then uh, you're in sin because if you're a child of God, you're not going to experience these things in your life. Uh, he's all about the prosperity and, and the good things and everything. He's preaching this with a sling on his, on his, holding his shoulder up because he had shoulder surgery. And nobody in his, I love that this pastor brought up this story. Nobody believed a word that guy had to say. He's like, this isn't from a, you know, this is uh, how he was, he was trying to explain away the fact that he was experiencing a, his body was medically failing him and he had to be surgically repaired. He's like, no, 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 no. This is, this is a result of a surgery that needed to happen, uh, but not because there's, so he's totally contradicting himself standing there with a sling. Stupid irresponsible it's unbiblical you hear that from somebody correct them immediately and let them know that is a, that's a foolish and uh, poisonous doctrine and it's going to lead so many astray think of uh, of the broken heart and I've, I've, I've talked with with people of the the widow that's left so wait a minute we went to church every time the doors were open we spent time you know we love the Lord and everything and my husband still passed away Think of the burden that's now on that person because now they got to go, well, was it sin in my life that did it? Was it sin in their life? Remember, we were just studying, you know, when, when uh, they're walking by the blind man and the, and the disciples ask, who sinned, Lord? Was it this man or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. You know, this, this happened for the glory of God. That is a, that is a demonic. It's demonic. That is, that is a demonic uh, doctrine. That we have to stand against. You can't go, well, you know, I just, I, I don't know that I necessarily, let's agree to disagree. No, get right in the, like, I'm not saying screaming at somebody, but say that is not scriptural at all. And let's look. Bring them right to John and show them, oh, here, and here, and here, and here, and here. And say, what you're, what you're looking at is an unbiblical doctrine. We cannot just say, oh, it's unbiblical. Well, you know, we'll just agree to, no. We have to say, I, I can't even agree to disagree with you. I'm just telling you, we're not in agreement. This, this is not right. And uh, and I just need to tell you that and rebuke um, you lightly in love. Uh, and you need to change your heart, change your mind, get in the scripture and let the scripture lead you and not some false teacher. Anyways, verse five. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed Two more days in the place where he was. <laughs> not the not the response that you would think of, right? Usually, for me, I hear you know, blood curdling scream from one of my children or everything. Was, Boom! I gotta go get him, right? This was two days. Hey, uh, it, it, I'm just we're just gonna wait two days. And Jesus already addressed it. He already addresses this is for the glory of God. So he stayed two more days at verse seven. Then. After this, he said to the disciples, let us go uh, to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you and you're going there again. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, but uh, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks at night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So uh, going back to verse 5, Jesus loved Mary and uh, Martha and Lazarus. I will clarify it right now. He did not have a sexual relationship with Mary. He didn't. Uh, this is what, uh, what the History Channel teaches is that after Jesus rose from the dead, even though whether they'll say whether he really died or not, 
that he had a family here and walked around and and uh, you know all those things. Married Mar. Uh, this this is stuff that I've actually heard them say on there. It's foolishness. It's not biblical. It's wrong. Straight out of hell. And uh, so he heard that he was sick. Spent two more days there. As we discussed, it's not the typical response. We want uh, help. That's why they sent for Jesus. And no doubt waiting for Jesus. Like, wait a minute. He's coming. He's coming. Oh, he hasn't. Oh, he's died. Lazarus is gone. And and Jesus didn't come. So Jesus is real. We'll get into that here in a minute. Um, Let us go to Judea again is his response after waiting. And uh, (laughs) and if you just look at the words themselves and and, uh, it's almost uh, with the you want to go where? (laughs) Wait a minute. These guys are trying to take your life. You you really want to go back there. And, uh, and, and, you know, remember those are the ones that are trying to stone you and Jesus uh, courageously and boldly went, uh, where he said he was going to. Now, when he says that they're not uh, 12 hours in the day, uh, Israel considered 12 hours to be a full day, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And, uh, as Christians, we are called, uh, in the scripture to redeem the time, to make the most of what the time that we do have. Um, Alfred says, uh, in describing Jesus's words, he says, I have fixed, I have a fixed time. I, what he's trying to say, what Jesus meant here is I have a fixed time during which to work appointed to me by my father. During that time, I feel no danger. I walk in his light, even as the traveler in the light of th- this world by day. I like that, that description. So I wanted to share that verse 11. These things he said, and after that, he said to uh, to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. And his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about uh, taking rest in sleep. And uh, we know that when we're sick, resting helps us get better. So they're going, why would we go wake somebody who's sleeping? So they're a little bit confused here. And Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So there's a lot contained here in these few verses. So Jesus said, Lazarus sleeps. Let's, uh, I, I go that I may wake him up. And the disciples aren't understanding it. Uh, and they're thinking, no, he's doing what he should do. If he's if he's sick, no, this is a this is a sickness that everybody was so concerned about, and uh, they're calling to Jesus because they know something isn't right. And without him, Lazarus is going to die. So Jesus is explaining all that. They're not understanding it. They're like, hey, no, he just needs some sleep. So he gets right to the point. Said Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Now, understand these these disciples were exposed to the works and words of Jesus for years. And they saw and heard what he did, but they still all that, you know, combined uh, combined was to establish their faith in him and then they're going to be equipped for ministry when he's gone. So they're still in this point uh, as they've watched him and they've seen what he's been doing, they're still at this point in need of sharpening and building. He's equipping them that those things that have happened, and that they've seen uh, what he's done and the, the words that he said, that those things are still taking root uh, in their hearts, in their minds and building them up, preparing them for the ministry that they're, they're going to be sent out uh, to do. Now, Thomas was uh, is here, makes a bold statement that he's willing to die 
uh, with Jesus at that point. Now I can look at that and uh, see see it as uh, let's go, you know, like he's going to rally the troops or whatever. But I'm I'm going to keep my own weird mind, uh, you know, out of it with that. So you know, he shows a, a good deal of pessimism here. Come on, we all you know we're all going to go with him. Or we're going to die. And you look at John chapter twenty. Uh, he he gains the name doubting Thomas. You know, and there's a, 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 a you know, root of pessimism in uh, John 20, verse 25. It says, The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Not the overly positive guy. You know, he, he's, uh, we're going to go. And if we go, we're going to die. If you're going, we're going with you and we're all going to die. And uh, when the, the disciples come after the Lord had risen and they're telling Thomas, he takes that pessimistic root, glass half, half empty, like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, if I don't see it, if I don't see and, and touch, I'm not going to believe. Uh, so it, it, it's just a part of his personality. Barclay makes a great uh, point about the names in that day. Now, Thomas is called the twin. So doubting Thomas, give him a break. You know, he he went through something traumatic. Uh, we can call ourselves doubting also because that's what we do also. You know, we get to a point where, I, I, Lord, I need to hear from you. And uh, unless I hear from you, I'm not going to take this step forward. And look at the word, follow him. And, uh, you know, but Barclay uh, makes a great point about names in that day. And uh, they would have had uh, a, a given name, a Hebrew name. For a closer circle, and Thomas was that name for him, but Didymus, the twin, was Greek. And the church tradition says that he might have been called that, uh, the twin, because he looked like Jesus. So I just wanted to share that. Is uh, So Didymus, the twin, uh, is, is his, his Greek name. So uh, those close to him, uh, like I've, I've described to you before, uh, many that grew up with me known me as John Paul. So I hear, John Paul, if I hear that, somebody's known me since I was a kid. You know, and or, or they've heard that story and they know that and then they'll start saying it. One of my buddies at the base used to do that. Hey, John Paul. So that's what he says to me now. And, and it whips my head around. My daughters, Ashley uh, specifically, uh, knows that uh, sometimes you're not going to get my attention unless she says my name. Because dad, 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 dad. And I'm just doing whatever. John. You know, and I'm flipping my head around. And, and, because, and, and she'll just kind of look at me smiling, you know, um, to a small group. You know, I may be known as this or and, and um, you know, more when I turned 18, I guess, you know, what's your name? My name is John. So I just kind of I, I, I don't care if someone calls me John Paul or John I've been called worse. So uh, as long as, you know, it's one of those things and I'm, I'm fine with it. But uh, so I just wanted to share that. Verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And. When the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Oh, and many of not and when and many of the Jews. Then Martha, as soon as she had heard Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Martha, uh, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know whatever you ask of God, God will give to you. So four days had passed. That's a long time for somebody to be dead. And they had come to the realization that Lazarus was gone and uh, they were all mourning. And uh, the mourning is natural. It's a part of our healing process. It's, it's, it's uh, something that, that 
Some people, it might take them a couple hours, a couple, you know, a couple days or whatever. Uh, might take months, years. You know, they, I, I just think of uh, how how we process things. We're all different. Ecclesiastes 3, 4 says, There is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. You know, many had joined with them. And uh, Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. You know, sometimes um, I read a book, um, John Corson, Applegate Christian Fellowship over in uh, Oregon. And uh, he lost his wife and daughter uh, both to car crashes. And uh, he wrote a book about it. You know, of, of, uh, they wanted to minister to people that were going through loss. And uh, he, he is telling a story of a man that had just lost somebody dear in his life. And he said that there were a lot of people trying to, with good heart, and, uh, in, 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 you know, uh, trying to encourage them and trying to let them know, hey, hey, we're here with you. You know, they're with the Lord now or, you know, anything that's that. It would normally be a loving thing. He said the one that impacted him the most was the one that just sat there with him. Didn't say a word, just sat there. It, it, sometimes that's the most powerful thing. It's just, the, you know, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Just go and be there so that they know they're not alone. Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, verse 20, the personality of Martha, we see it come out again. You know, she got up and went, no doubt the leader between the two sisters. You know, she, I, I, I'd have to suspect the older of the two sisters. Uh, and uh, she, uh, as soon as she hears that Jesus is there, she runs out and she meets Jesus. And uh, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So Martha believed that Jesus Christ had the power to heal her brother. Uh, that's why she said, "If you would have been here, um, you know he he would have uh, he would have been healed." That's why they called to him uh, when he was sick. So, and then she goes, but she goes even past that and says, "Even now, you know everything uh, it changes." And she understood this when Christ comes into a situation. They were facing death, and and they were experiencing it. And when Jesus says, whatever you ask of God, God will give you. But when it goes, she goes back and she says, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. You know, Jesus is the difference in every state that we can be in. It, it, that, that state of hopelessness, whatever it is. Now, what came to mind is if Jesus is in the marriage, they will survive. There are a lot of marriages, Christian marriages, that have failed. If Jesus is not... Your marriage is struggling. He's the one that can save it. The word of God has an amazing way of leading us uh, to uh, leading a husband to uh, selfishly, self, selfishly, selflessly uh, love our wives as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for it. First Peter three is telling husbands. Peter's telling husbands to understand their wives, be gentle to them and honor them. Scripture teaches wives to be, Ephesians 5, submissive to their husband, the leadership of their husband. And that should be easier as they're following the Lord, to submit to their husband. Submission does not come easy. <laughs> she said, what? Submission doesn't come easy. 
you know, a wife is called to, uh, you know, support the husband, not ridicule them. I love the, the proverb, and I won't remember which one. It, I, I don't remember exactly which one it is, but it's like, you know, uh, better to reside on a, on, on a, up on the roof than to be with a contentious woman. You know, that, wow. You know, and, and I've seen it in the grocery store or whatever and go, wow. You know, that, 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 that person, the, the woman just browbeating her husband. Just and, it, and it's awful. And the husband that browbeats the wife. None of that should be happening. The husband should be following the Lord and leading the wife so that it's easy for that wife to submit to the leadership of the husband. You know, follow them, trust them. You know, I realize uh, that uh, that might come hard. I realize that uh, there are specifically uh, what comes to mind are wives that have been abused by husbands and mistreated by husbands verbally, sexually, physically, whatever it might be, that it's not going to be easy. Unfortunately, that's not the way that God designed it. But if you have a restored marriage or you have been remarried, trust the Lord. Understand that his word still calls us to these things, that we are supposed to love our wives and uh, to care for them, be gentle with them and honor them. You know, even if the, the wife ran out and the wife came back and the wife ran out, the wife came back, the wife ran out or the husband or all those things, whatever it is, just pray that the Lord would help the situation and change our hearts. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. If, if Jesus was in the marriage, uh, you know, it wouldn't have died. If you're still married and things are in those situations, go to him now. Don't wait. Jesus said in John 10 that the, he came to give life, that he gives life and life more abundantly. And that abundance is in him, his presence in our life. And there's nothing or no one else that can compare. There's nothing that can repair a situation, a marriage, a whatever, relationship, and family, whatever it is, better than Jesus can. So when she came and she said, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. We can put anything in there. And understand that if Jesus is there, he can take care of everything for every situation. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is come into the world. So Jesus spoke here with authority, and he said, your brother will rise again. Another bold statement. Anybody can make a statement. Now, I, I heard a pastor say, you know, it's not a bold statement to say that, hey, someday this person's going to walk if you're standing around toddlers. You know, but when you walk up to a grave site and you say your brother will rise again, that's a statement. If I walk into uh, a, you know, a cemetery and make a bold statement that I can raise this, but that person doesn't raise up, you go, yep, this guy's out of his mind. But Jesus walks in and says, your brother will rise again. And she mistakes him to say as a, as a uh, one that is waiting for the coming Messiah that believed that, uh, you know, at the, at the last day, they were going to be, everybody was going to be resurrected and judged. 
So she says, yeah, you know, I, I know that in the resurrection, the last day, uh, uh, at the last day, he'll rise again. And Jesus makes the statement here. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he uh, may die, he shall live. That's a, that's a statement. Now, amongst Christians, uh, we can find comfort in a time of mourning, knowing that someday we're going to see that individual later uh, in heaven. We can find that. But this is different. Jesus is speaking of, uh, of something that nobody would have expected. And uh, Martha uh, you know, thought he meant one thing, and Jesus makes it clear. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he may live. Uh, you know, This is the fifth of the seven I am statements. Jesus is declaring that he is the sole source of resurrection and life. I am the resurrection and the life. The, the soul one. Now, Acts 4, verses 11 and 12, 11 through 12 says, This is a stone which was rejected by the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there, any, is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given by among men by which we must be saved. There's no other name. Jesus is the resurrection of, and the life. No, nor is there salvation in any name. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus always spoke very authoritatively and exclusively of who he was. It wasn't like, hey, some people might look at me this way. And some people may. He just said, I am this. I am that. There was always the authority. There was always the exclusivity. Uh, if that's a word. Um, if it, it, exclusively. Exclusively. Exclusivity. Uh, exclusively. Who he was. Ephesians 4, um, verses 4 through 6 says, There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father all, over one God of all, who is above all, and through all and in you all. One. There's one. Jesus said, Anybody uh, and, and whoever lives and believes in him shall not die. So after declaring that he's the resurrection and the life, he follows through with a call to faith. Do you believe me? Do you believe this? And he's asking, you know, there, he says those who die, everybody's going to die physically unless you're raptured, taken up by the Lord. You know, it, but everybody's going to, that believes in him is going to never experience the spiritual death. And he asks her, you know, do you believe this? And it's important for us as Christians to meditate on that, do I believe that? Do I believe? Because if, if we believe that, it needs to permeate every part of our life and come out in how we act and what we do and what we say. It should be the core of who we are as Christians. And she said, "Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world." She nails it. The right answer. Perfect. Raised hand. Yes, you calls on Martha, and um, she nails it. And she believed that Jesus was the Messiah. You know, the, the, or, or she says the Christ here, the, the Greek name uh, for the Messiah. Messiah is a Hebrew word, and uh, Christos is uh, Greek, and in the English we call it Christ. And she meant what she said. Verse 28, and when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, uh, her sister, saying, The teacher has come to you, uh, come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. 
Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they had saw that Mary rose up quickly, went out following her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came uh, where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So Martha went secretly and called, uh, called Mary. There were a lot of people there. Jesus' name was important uh, for some. The, uh, so it was, was popular at that point. Some loved him. Some hated him. And uh, she didn't want anything to be a distraction uh, for Mary. And she goes and secretly goes to Mary and says, Jesus is here. And instantly she hears the name that Jesus is there and she runs. And uh, she wanted uh, Mary to have the opportunity to speak privately with Jesus. Now everybody starts following after, but they don't know, you know what was said. So Mary's different. Remember, Martha came and has a face-to-face -face conversation with Jesus. Mary comes, and as soon as she gets to Jesus, where does she go? Right back to his feet. And she falls at his feet. She's different. You know, she processes things different than her sister. You know, Remember, she was sitting at his feet to hear his word before, and now she's laying at his feet, just crying. And she hears that Jesus is there, rises up and runs, goes to that familiar place, and goes down to the feet of Jesus. And in that time of trouble, you know, we might need to go to God differently. You know, some, it may be, you know, I need to go for, uh, go pray. I need to go for a walk. I need to go for a ride. I need to be around brothers and sisters uh, to talk, to pray. Uh, those things, she just went on her face. She needed to shut, uh, be the person to shut the door and just say, I just need to be alone and I need to pray. Verse 33, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? And Jesus, uh, they said to him, Lord, come and see. And he said, uh, sorry, uh, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? So there's a lot of speculation in the comments of what these verses of the groaning of Jesus uh, meant. And uh, when, when Jesus saw Mary and the crowd weeping, he groaned within his spirit. There was a, that, that deep emotional movement in his spirit. And uh, that's, that's speaks of the, in the, the, the Greek phrase, uh, would be um, there's there's the groaning and that Greek phrase would be uh, like an like an angry uh, it, it's a, uh, to snort like a horse like like re ready to go like seeing what sin and death has done to this world grieved his spirit. Because he wasn't, when it says Jesus wept, the shortest book and the shortest verse in the English Bible, it wasn't that Jesus was like, oh, well, we've lost Lazarus. He knew he was going to, you know, in just a few minutes, tell Lazarus to come out of the grave. He was, it, the, the pain and sorrow, we weren't, that this world isn't the way it was, it was designed to be. This 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 world uh, is experiencing all the the chaos and, and and the death and destruction and everything as a result of sin and, and the, the disobedience 
to the Lord because Adam and Eve being in the garden, they were they were commanded, follow this basic instruction, don't eat of that tree. And when you do, the day you do, you will die. That was spiritual death, that separation from God. They still did, and here we are. And uh, and sin has uh, and and death uh, has its its impact on this fallen world. And God is important thing to understand here is God is moved with compassion by our grief and our tears. Morris points out that Jesus wept quietly. He was a, deeply moved by the grief. Psalm thirty four verse eighteen: The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Verse 38, then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench. Old English, if you have a, a, a King James Bible, says he stinketh. So um, it, it, Brian and I were talking about that before church today. Um, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me because of the people, uh, but because the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And when uh, and he uh, who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and seen the things that Jesus did believed in him. Now, I envision Jesus with a fire in his eyes at this point. Take away the stone. He had seen the grief and the heartache, and he's moved deeply within himself. And he responds uh, here uh, to Mary's concern uh, and reminds her of what he said. He's like, "Wait a minute, he's he, he stinketh. You know, he's 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 been in there for four days. He's not going to smell that that great." And uh, the stone gets rolled away, and Jesus shows no restraint or regard for the time or for death. I love that right here. There's, there, he doesn't care about the time that's passed. He doesn't care that this guy might stay. Nothing. He has no regard for it at all. He's the resurrection and the life. He himself, with all the power and authority demonstrated, uh, he, he has power over death. And he says it, what we can read here in three words, Lazarus, come forth. And out came Lazarus, wrapped up like a mummy. No doubt, everybody's glad to see him, but he stinks. That's four days of... You know, his, his body, want to go up and give him a hug? Maybe a quick hug. Hey, maybe need to go take a bath, and then we can talk afterward. But he had been in there for four days. You know, comes Lazarus, and, you know, he smelled like a dead man, but he's very much alive because of the power of Christ. And uh, many believed as a result. So that powerful thing that just happened, we could spend weeks studying that. And Jesus speaking to the dead man, come out. You know, he speaks to our dead soul. You know, to come to life. Verse 46, but some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them what Je the things that Jesus did. I'm going to try to wrap this up. We're about five minutes over right now, but we need to finish this. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered and a, uh, gathered a council and said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. 
If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. Here it is. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, being a high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider uh, that it is expedient for, for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God that were scattered ab abroad. Then from that day on, they plotted uh, he, uh, they plotted to put him to death. So, of course, there's a group of religious leaders and people that are going to run. So many believe in Jesus, but there are those little snot-nosed brats, I'll say that, that, that run, oh, i got to go tell, i got to go tell. And they, they run and they, they go tell the, uh, forgive the, the comment, but um, they uh, run to religious leaders and the chief priests and Pharisees, and they have something to say. And But in verse 48 gets right to the heart and their biggest fears that Rome's going to take over and they're going to lose their power. They're going to lose everything. They're, they were living good lives. They've got all kinds of money, power, respect, everything. They don't want to lose all those things. And so they make the, they, they're, they're all worried about it. And Caiaphas, being the high priest, says it's better for one man to die than for the whole nation to perish. And this is, uh, you know, this is a logical thought, but, uh, but uh, that didn't make it right. It's not like there was, it was this, hey, good thinking, let's do it. You know, it's, uh, they're rejecting the Messiah. And, and what it says here is that Caiaphas, Caiaphas was prophesying because of his position. And John makes it clear uh, that Caiaphas didn't doesn't get the credit. You know, God used Caiaphas uh, to uh, to make that uh, that prophecy there uh, because of the position that Caiaphas was in. Verse fifty four. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went uh, from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there he re and there remained with his disciples. But the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they saw Jesus and spoke among themselves, and they stood in the temple. What do you think? Will he come up? Uh, that that he will not come uh, to the feast. Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it that they might seize him. So the Jewish religious leaders uh, were all in kill mode, and they're intimidating everybody uh, to report whether they uh, had seen him. Uh, and uh, there was nothing they could do to stop him, but his hour had not yet come. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. For us as Christians to understand this, for every situation we may we may be in, everything you know, we we may think that there's no hope, you know that we may um, be in that spot where we go, you know, you really don't understand. There's no hope. There's no money. There's no food. Uh, you know that just remember, okay, no hope. Paul and Silas being in prison about to you know face the death penalty and they just start singing and god knocks down the doors think of no food think of the elijah uh, being off where there's no food and god sending ravens to feed him you know how often does a big mac come falling out of the sky right you know ravens just coming and and providing for him that that god made the provision where god guides he provides 
that marriage that's as good as dead or in big trouble, God wants to restore it. He's the resurrection and the life. Completely enslaved to addiction. Anybody here or people we know, we can tell them Jesus is the resurrection and the life. They're helpless. They're hopeless. You know, going through uh, whatever we may be. Maybe a Christian that, that has that feeling of being spiritually dry. At point, just kind of going through the motions. Don't seem that anything's really happening. You know, I feel like my faith is wrapped up and shoved into a tomb and, and, and nothing's really, it doesn't seem there's any life. Just remember who Jesus is. He's the resurrection and the life. No matter how bad it is, we just have to understand that he is the resurrection of the life. Second Chronicles, I'm wrapping it up right now. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of, the, of those whose heart is loyal to him. Come back to the Lord. And God wants to show himself. He wants to resurrect. He wants to free. He wants to do all these things in our lives and the lives of the loved ones that are just entangled in whatever it might be, or for the Christian that's walking with a heavy burden, whatever it is, go to Jesus, the resurrection and the life. He can take care of everything. That good shepherd is just ready. He's waiting. You know, it's when we try to do things on our own that it's always going to fail. It's always going to fall apart. We have to have the resurrection and the life to make sure that everything else comes back to where it needs to be. Then you can look at, uh, at scriptures like 1 Corinthians 15 that say, uh, Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, Hades, where's your victory? The, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us all victory, uh, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor uh, is not in vain in the Lord. Last thing, Ezekiel 37, dry bones. God brings Ezekiel out and says, speak to the bones. Those dry bones, dry bones, there's nothing left on them. There's no sign of life at all. The Lord says, speak to them, and they're, they're raised up. Speak to them, speak breath into them. Prophesy, and breath goes into them. The Lord can do anything he wants to do. We just need to come to him. For those that we know that are struggling, those who are going through such such powerful things that that seem to uh, that there's no hope. I don't know four people, uh, four days in a grave, pretty much no hope at that point. Jesus walks up, says, "Take that away, come out." He's there. He's got the power. Amen. Will you all stand with me and we'll pray? Lord, help us to trust you, the Good Shepherd. And understand who you are as the resurrection and the life. You are, the resurrection and the life is a person and it's you. Whatever it is, Lord, that, that we may be facing or loved ones or people we work with or whatever it may be, Lord, that we would point to you. Encourage them to come to you. For us just to come to you with whatever situation we're facing. We love you. We praise you. We thank you that we can trust in you as the resurrection and the life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.